Thank you for joining us today for our online worship experience. I'm Pastor Anthony and you made our day when you logged on. We've got a very special treat for you today. In fact, one of my dear friends, Pastor Josh Overton is going to be sharing with us today. So I want you to sit back. I don't even want you to sit back. I want you to lean forward. I want you to take some great notes and I want you to absorb everything that he has for us today as we dive in to God's word. And I want you to remember that you were loved and I am cheering you on. Well, good morning, North Park Church family. As always, it is such an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. If I have not met you yet, my name is Josh Overton, and I'm a long-distance family member uh, to the North Park Church family, and it is just such always a treat to be with you. Uh, I most recently have planted and lead a church known as Rescue Church in Durham, North Carolina, and most of you know this already, Pastor Anthony and your family and your church, you guys have been such a huge part of that, such a huge supporter of ours from the very beginning, and I cannot express my gratitude and my thanks enough, and I just wanted to say good morning. It's so, so good to be with you, and I'm excited to jump into the message today, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. That's kind of where we're going to be camped at for most of the day. And before we read the passage, though, I want to set it up like this. How many of you, and if you just let me know in the comments, okay, how many of you remember growing up or perhaps now you live in a community, in a neighborhood with a legitimate neighborhood watch, okay? I'm not talking about the old man who lives on the corner uh, that you're like scared to go knock on his door every Halloween for trick-or-treat, right? Uh, I guess that is kind of a neighborhood watch, but I mean like a certified, there's a green sign when you enter the neighborhood that, you know, this is under patrol. This is under the, the watchful eye of several neighborhood members, and they're gonna be watching for anything looking suspicious. Anyone Remember that? Well, I've got a few stories about the neighborhood watch. Some of them are not suitable uh, for church online this morning, but uh, there is a story that I wanted to share with you. And listen, I get it. Let me just say, in case any of you happen to serve on the neighborhood watch, I realize that they serve a purpose. But when you are a 14-year-old teenage boy, uh, there is no purpose that qualifies or warrants having something like this. And so here's my story, okay? Uh, Growing up, before I could drive, a lot of my friends would sneak out of their house, meet up together, and go hang out. And I know what that sounds like, but we weren't even doing anything bad, okay? We were good kids. We were just trying to have fun and live on the edge a little bit. These guys snuck out, I don't know, five or six times, five or six times before I ever worked up the confidence to actually follow through with it, even though I got continuous invitations to go. So I make the decision, okay, this is going to be it. I'm going to sneak out. I'm going to meet up with them, and we're going to go hang out. And I did. I snuck out. I got out of my house without my parents ever knowing. Walked a couple hundred yards. They were waiting for me. Got in the car. We had an older friend, an an accomplice, right, who could drive legally. And we get in the car, and we got to go pick up up my other friend, kind of the ringleader, right? He's the last one to come out the house. And this is before iPhones and check your location and all that. This was like literally just a flip phone days, okay? And so we uh, drive up to his neighborhood. We park about four houses down right at the entrance of the neighborhood. 
pull out their phones, flip it up, send a text message, and then we have to wait. And that's like the worst thing that you ever want to do when you're trying to sneak, all right? When you don't want to be caught, you don't want to have to just stick around and wait. We had to wait. I don't even know how long, but way too long. And then all of a sudden, he finally comes out of his house, meets up in the car. We get, I'm not kidding you, we get a quarter of a mile down the road and the blue lights come on, y'all. The police showed up. The police pull us over. And we weren't even doing anything like other than being out without our parents knowing. We weren't going off to like party or like we were just going to go to his grandma's house uh, who had a pool table in the barn. Or we were just going to play some pool and hang out. Innocent, right? And the cops showed up. So the cops show up. They get us out of the car. They call our parents. My parents are freaking out. They're like, what? He's not my son. He's in the bed. No, I wasn't. I was in. I was standing outside the car with the police officer, and it was just bad news. And what had happened was, what, what every good story, right? What had happened was, what had happened was somebody in the neighborhood watch reported us to the police for being a suspicious vehicle. Okay, like it's those kind of people. Like, really? Come on, man. Like, we weren't out spray painting signs. We weren't TPing any houses. We weren't egging any. We were just kids having fun. And we got the police calling on us. Man, it's 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 like just like right now in my neighborhood, you're not allowed to have any trailers or boats or anything parked in your driveway. Well, I recently acquired a John boat and I had pulled it up. I knew the rules, but I had pulled it up just to kind of assess it, make sure it was ready to get in the water because the next day I was going to take it out. It was in my on my property for less than 24 hours. And I got a letter telling me that if I did not move the boat, that they were going to find me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because somebody reported us to the HOA. All right, so listen, it's those kind of people, all right? It's those kind of people that Jesus is having a conversation with in this passage of Scripture. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, Jesus is having a conversation with the neighborhood watch, like the, the religious professionals. Right? Like the kind of people who might be upset that I'm wearing a hat right now while I'm preaching, okay? Uh, it's like the religious. I'm really just joking with you guys. Please don't be offended. I'm just trying to make you laugh. But it is for real. It is those religious professionals. It is those, those HOA, neighborhood watch kind of people that Jesus is in a conversation with. And here's how it goes down. In verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, which is mistake number one, right? He stands up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. We know this. We could recite that. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the Pharisee, the religious leader, the, the neighborhood watched, the religious professional wanted to press in just a little bit more in, in an attempt to justify himself and, and trip up Jesus. Because he's asking Jesus this question in front of a lot of people, by the way. Trying to trip him up. He says, okay, okay, Jesus. Who exactly 
is my neighbor. Love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Get that. Love my neighbor as myself. Okay, well, exactly who is my neighbor? Here's the question that he was really asking Jesus. And this is the question that I believe we, I, we should explore today. This is the question that I present to you. And we're going to present to Jesus and look at how he responds. Here it is. Write this down, if you will. The question that he was really asking is, Jesus, who do I have to love? Like, I get it. I, I make a vow and a commitment to my spouse. Got to love them. My kids, of course, got to love them. Family, mother-in-laws, right? Uh, friends. I, I, okay, I get that. But but outside of like that, who do I have to love? Like, if I really have to, okay, who do I have to love? Like, that is the context. That is That is what he is presenting to Jesus. And that's the question that, I really believe we should explore a little bit here this morning. Who do I have to love? Because I don't know about you, and, and maybe not, but I find myself not even intentionally sometimes choosing who I deem worthy of receiving love and who I don't. And love can often be defined by attention, uh, support, presence. Uh, care. Listen, like where if I if I open up my calendar and I look at my bank statement, uh, I'll be able to show you quickly what I love and who I love. Right? We're, we make choices by where we give our time, where we give our attention, where we give our affection. We make choices, and so kind of that's that's a very uh, very cynical question proposed by the Pharisee to Jesus, but I think a very honest question and a question that we should explore today. Jesus, who do, who do I love? Who do, who do I have to love? We're going to talk about that here today. What I want to do is start by looking at the definition of love. I think it's a good place to start. The definition of love, right? First Corinthians chapter 13, a lot of you probably had this passage or you have at least have heard it at your wedding or a wedding that you've attended. We know this passage. We know the definition of love. And we're going to read it here in just a second. But this is not a marriage passage alone. It's a great marriage passage. But this definition of love is not uh, bound to the confines of just your spouse. Paul says that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. So here's a, here's a great, okay. It does not dishonor. A great measuring stick on how I'm doing and loving someone is to look at how I'm honoring them. And I don't just mean how I'm honoring them when they're in the room. Not just how I'm honoring them when the camera is on, but how am I honoring them when they're not in the room? My, my favorite definition of honor is when I have the opportunity to expose, I shield. And I'm not talking about accountability. That's a different kind. I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about taking advantage, manipulating the situation to make myself look bigger or better or to push myself in front of them, a status. When I have the opportunity to expose a shield. 
So a great question to ask yourself, a great question to ask yourself is, how honoring is my talk when they are not in the room or when the camera isn't on or there's no specific reward involved? Right? So love does not dishonor. Let's keep reading. It says, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. That is love. And this love is not bound to only your marriage or only your immediate family. But to extend and cross into other lanes and merge into other areas of your life, this is the love that Jesus is implying when he says, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your spouse with all your heart. Love your kids. Love your family. Love your friends. Love the people you like, but also the people you don't like. Love your neighbor with the same intensity of love. One thing I don't love right now is the pollen in North Carolina. Uh, so I apologize for my eye. It's just, it's, it is what it is. Put eye drops in it, took allergy medicine. And I'm like, of course, on the day that I'm recording, this is happening. I don't love that. Uh, so who, so you know, Jesus, who do I have to love Jesus? And, and so now that I know what love is, whoa, that I've got to enlarge my capacity to love. And I can only be done by first and foremost being loved by Jesus, learning how to love by being loved by Jesus. That's, that's how we increase our capacity. And as our capacity increases, Jesus, who do I pour this love out on to? Right? I'll give you three quick answers to that. The first thing is you have to love those in need. You have to love those in need. If you look at the ministry of Jesus and then the ministry that he initiates and validates and uh, deploys his disciples, his followers to do, and the ministry and the mission that he not only deploys his disciples to do, but then in turn, us, you and me, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of Jesus, we also too pick up this mission to advance it. It started with, and it was almost primarily, you won't find Jesus often talking about sins and forgiveness and eternity without first talking about a need or meeting a need. Jesus was constantly healing the blind, helping the lame walk again, raising the dead, turning water into wine, feeding people. He always, always, always met people where they were. And no matter where they were, he met them there. He did not avoid it. He did not run from it. He found them and met them where they were in almost 90% of Jesus's ministry began with meeting physical, natural needs. Why? Because he was compassionate, because he's a good king, because he's a friend. All of those are true. But also because if I can meet a natural need in your life, then you will trust me and I will have opportunity to meet the even more important, 
supernatural need of your life because people often don't care what you know until they know how much you care. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, heal the sick who are there. He's deploying his disciples and he says, first and foremost, heal the sick, meet their needs. We must love those who are in need. And then he continues in the same verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 9, heal the sick who are in need and then tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. I put the and then, that's my, that's my implication there, but, but it is intentional. This is the written inspired word of God. And it is, I think it's very intentional that it was heal them. And then it says, and tell them. So it's, it's important though, to see both. Jesus isn't saying just give them a bottle of water. Just bind their wounds and 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 not not just lay hands on them and pray for them to be healed, but as you're doing that, make sure they understand that the reason you're doing this and the power behind this and the love behind this is because of the kingdom of God, because of heaven, because of my Father, because of my love. But but I do think it is important that we see the distinction there that hey, a lot of people. Do not care what you know until they know how much you care. You must love those in need. And then secondly, you must also love those who are far from God. But you're bringing the good news that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Meet a natural need so that you can meet a supernatural need. Love them by meeting their needs so that you can, so they will trust you and you will have opportunity to share about the eternity, the invitation into relationship and family in heaven with a God who loves us and our King Jesus. Come on, like meet a super, meet a natural need so we have the opportunity to have the conversation about supernatural. Because we must love those in need. We must love those far from God. And maybe I got some amens on that. Like maybe right now in the comments, you're like, oh, yeah, that's great. I can do that or I love doing that or I love outreach. Here's, here's the tough one though. Our neighbors also include our enemies. We must love those in need. We must love those far from God. We must also love our enemies. And I think that, honestly, we could do an entire sermon or two or three or five on this. I think it's important that we identify who the enemy is and who the enemy isn't. And I'm not your pastor, so I wouldn't dare try to take this on because it's not my place. But I do feel like I I know the heart of your pastor enough that I could say this and he would be in agreement. And I I hope that most of you are in agreement with this, okay? But someone with different values than you doesn't necessarily make them an enemy. Someone that has a different political affiliation than you doesn't make them necessarily an an enemy. And I think sometimes that just because someone may not believe like us, that someone may not vote like us, well, now that means we're on opposing sides. And we we are opposed now. We are not friends, but foes. And that's not necessarily true you you may not 
link arms and do life with them and invite them to your kid's birthday party and invite them over for the barbecue on Saturday every single weekend. But that doesn't mean it's because they don't vote like you and because they don't always have the same values as you that they're your enemy. Because if the enemy, if the enemy, if Satan can get you to believe that they are the enemy, then you will make a choice not to love them. You will make a choice to separate yourself from them. Now, all of a sudden, there will be a distance. There will be a us against them. It'll, it'll be a us against them. And I think one of the most practical ways to love our enemies, and often we make the people who wound us and hurt us and shame us and call pain in our life the enemy. So therefore, as a default by that, I believe one of the greatest ways that we can love our enemy is to Forgive them. And, and I'm not trying to diminish the pain and the shame in our lives, but I just want to say this because, this, again, this could be an entire sermon series on itself. But withholding forgiveness and, and growing bitterness and resentment is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Forgiveness is so much, so many times often about you. And without diving too much into that pain and into those spiders in our closet and all the cobwebs that they've weaved, what what freedom could you experience? What joy could you gain back? What vulnerability and love could you tap back into if you could, with the help of Jesus on this journey, learn to forgive? Doesn't necessarily mean you walking them all back into beyond your boundaries and back at your table. Okay, again, this is this very this very deep and wide conversation. But, but ultimately what Jesus is communicating to, is this, is by withholding forgiveness and, and putting this divide between you and people, you are by default of that going to close yourself off to certain things. And through the love and the power and the grace of Jesus, you go on this journey to find healing and freedom and forgiveness, whether you ba are back in relationship with this person or not, you open yourself back up. You, you turn the valve back on so that more love and grace and freedom can flow to you. And so many times we, because of the hurt in our lives, we, we, we close that off. We close ourselves off. We put walls up. We put, we, and I'm not talking about healthy boundaries. I'm just talking about, we shut ourselves down. And so when, when the Pharisees asking this question, and, and perhaps when you and I are asking this question, Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Check, love my neighbor. But what about if my neighbor? What if my neighbor has wronged me? Like, how do I love that way? It, it. Jesus put that in there. He said that for a reason. And and maybe that's the journey that that we need to go on. And. I get it, man. So do I have to love people who, who don't look like me? Yeah, you do. Do I have to love people who don't vote like me? Yeah. Do I have to love Duke fans? Yankee fans? Okay. Steeler fans? What? For real, Jesus? Come on. <laughs> so I just, but seriously, just let me show you a glimpse. And there are so many different places I could go. Let me just go right here. Just to stay in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read five verses. In this situation, we're going to see an enemy, a legitimate political, social enemy, choose to love. And he's going to show us what, 
Jesus is by this Jesus is going to show us and define for us what he means. It says in verse thirty, Jesus said, and he's replying to the Pharisee, "Who do I have to love?" Well, here let me show you who you have to love. In reply, Jesus said, "A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest." <laughs> A man of God happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He avoided him. He saw him and he avoided it. So too a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. Saw it, went around. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Samaritan. The enemy. I mean, if you guys have not turned on the news lately and seen what's going down in Palestine and Israel, this is, maybe just go take a look and then come back and finish reading this. Because this, this is who we're talking about. A Palestinian man and a Jewish man. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, it took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, and they put, and then he put the man on his donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And he paid for him to stay there and to, to, be, to get back up on his feet, to heal, to recover. And then he tells the innkeeper, if there's anything else that might come up, let me know. Like if my man doesn't have insurance, let me know. I will take care of it. So when the thieves came down and, and, and met the man and assaulted the man, they saw someone to exploit. When the priest and the Levi came by, the, the, the Christians, if you will, the believers, the followers of faith, when they saw it, they're like, I've got too many problems of my own. My life is too crazy they saw someone to avoid, but when the Samaritan, the enemy, saw him, it, he didn't look at him and see him as an enemy. He saw someone to love. He saw a person to love. So what does loving your enemy look like? Listen, I don't need you to explain your faith to me. Just go love someone. Because when you do that, You've explained your faith. So maybe here's some practical things, okay? Maybe go get lunch with somebody that voted for Trump. Maybe go get lunch with someone who voted for Biden. Maybe um, stop letting Facebook and whatever social media feed you have define your relationships with people. There are people on our social media feeds that we have not had a physical conversation with in days and weeks and months or years, and that's largely because of a view or a, an opinion that they posted that we do not agree with has caused us to create a divide. Maybe we shouldn't let social media define that for us. Um, and, and if I could just say this real quick too. My biggest fear... In regards to the long-term 
damage of COVID-19. <laughs> it, uh, it isn't the vaccine, okay? It's not. I, whatever you made, whatever choice you made, like it's, my biggest fear isn't whether or not I'm going to grow a third arm, if or not I get the vaccine. My biggest fear, my biggest fear of the long-term effect of COVID-19 is the deceit and the doubt that has been planted in our heart or that the enemy has exploited. Because for over a year and a half now, we have been encouraged. And here in the triangle, we've been mandated to cover up, to hide, and to separate. Now we are in a situation where Slowly, we're being invited to come back together, to gather. Have you been to the department store? The department store? What am I? This is 1996. Have you been to Walmart? Have you been to Target? Have you been to a grocery store recently and walked in without a mask on and everyone else has a mask on? Or have you been at Walmart, Target, or the grocery store yet, and you've had a mask on, and then the one person that didn't walk by? Okay, I'm not trying to make this about the mask, but did you, in this past year, feel like if I wore a mask that I'm choosing a side? If I didn't wear a mask that I'm choosing a side? And now because we've chosen sides, we are in opposition to one another? And, and compound that with the fact that we have been separated for a year and a half, two years. Okay, I'm not, this is not a political statement. This is the reality of our society right now. We've, we've never really been here before. And my biggest fear is that we have been tricked and deceived into believing that I don't really need you. That it's okay if we are in opposition because I can just live my life and you can just live your life. It, we have been deceived into picking sides. And when you pick sides, you build walls and you build fences and you, and you, you isolate yourself from other people. And that's a trap. It's a well-laid trap from the enemy. So who do we have to love? We have to love those in need. We have to love those who are far from God. We have to even love our neighbor, even if our neighbor is our enemy. Because at the end of the day, our neighbor isn't really our enemy. What does this look like? Jesus, Jesus gets to the end of this, this story, and he, he then, as he typically does, takes the situation, and he flips it upside down, and now he proposes a great question to the Pharisees. He says in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? And the expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. What is mercy? Here's how I like to define it. Mercy is love that responds to a human need in an unexpected or unmerited way, an unexpected way, even when you didn't earn it, even when you didn't expect it, it's love that finds you when you are in need. Where did I get that definition from? Well, it's what Jesus did for me. 
His love found me when I didn't deserve it, when I didn't earn it, and when I didn't expect it. It found me, it wrecked me, it saved me, it, it, it and, uh, and in every sense of the word, minister, we, we get that from administer, which is where we get words from like medicine and medic. The root of all of that, the idea of all of that, the, the ideology of all of that is, is that you would love someone back to life. Before all of the advancements of medicine and science, literally stop the bleeding and love and care for them. And that hasn't changed. Sure, as science has Guys, we've gotten smarter as we've advanced medicine and science. Sure, there are other things that we use, but the base of it is a is a tender-hearted nurse who takes care of you. It is a doctor who gives his life to study, to save. It is the spouse who's sleeping next to you in the hospital bed for days for weeks it is the family the friends that are coming it's it's the love it's the care that is the root of it okay and that is the idea that we find here that is mercy at its core that is love at its core that it finds you and it loves you back to life that's what the samaritan did for the jewish man he found him and he loved him back to life and that's what jesus did for me that is the mercy that found me. And when we have this question of who do we have to love? It's those far from him. It's those in need. It's our neighbor, even when it's our enemy. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's by loving people. It's by responding to human needs in an unexpected and unmerited way. To sum all of that up into one simple action step. It's this simple, simple principle that choices lead and feelings follow. Choices lead and feelings follow. I'm standing in front of my wife on our wedding day, infatuated with her, her beauty, both inwardly and outwardly. The fact that she actually came down the aisle she actually followed through with it. And the fact that I was about to spend the rest of my life with her, I'm blown away. And this weekend is our 11th anniversary. My 11th anniversary is this weekend. And we're standing there in that moment. And the pastor who's officiating our wedding, before he finishes the ceremony, looks at us, specifically me, but he looks at both of us and he says, Today will be the day that you love each other the least. And he paused for effect. And I just remember, what are you talking about? No way. And he said, today will be the day that you love one another the least. If you choose for it to be. Love is intentional. Love is a choice. And there will be Many days where you don't necessarily feel like loving her. She's not going to be very loving. He's not going to be very loving. He's not going to be easy to love with his attitudes. He's not going to be easy to love always with his habits that irritate you. He's not always going to be love. You know, and he goes on. But if you make a choice 
10 years from now, 20 years from now, the feelings will follow because the feelings will not always be there. But your opportunity to make a choice will. And if you make a choice, the feelings will follow. It goes right back to our forgiveness valve illustration and analogy. You continue to keep that valve open. Yes, there will be some disappointments. Yes, there will be some rejection. Yes, there will be some frustration. But vulnerability and intentionality Keep that valve open so that love can continually flow to you and through you. Make a choice to keep that valve open. Make a choice today to be loved by God and to learn how to be loved by a good father and a good king and a good savior. To be loved by them is the best teacher for us to learn how to love those far from God, how to love those in need, how to love our neighbors, how to love our enemies, just by simply remembering what Jesus did for me, the mercy that found me in, in an unexpected, unmerited way to remember that, to constantly dwell in that, to constantly revisit that, to constantly worship and praise God for that, and experiencing in a new and fresh every day. This dailiness of experiencing this will teach me and show me and create in me and expand my capacity to love. Just by remembering and experiencing what Jesus did for me. I love what Bob Goff says. It says, he says all the time, and, and this is a quote from his book, but he says it in different ways all the time, that just believing isn't enough. Jesus wants us to participate. One of the best ways to participate is by loving others. So I just want to pray for you and I want to pray that wherever you are this morning, that you could experience and be captivated and overwhelmed by the love of God. And there's no doubt that some of us watching this today have, have some deep pain, some deep wounding moments in our lives that have prevented us from opening back up, that have prevented us from being vulnerable. They've, they've prevented us from loving. So here's my prayer. Jesus, you have defeated sin, hell, and the grave by your death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You are alive you are on the throne. You have authority. So God, I bring that authority. And it's in that, in that authority that I speak freedom and healing and forgiveness for anyone that is watching this today, that is here today, who, who perhaps has those painful moments in our lives that have prevented us from trusting, have prevented us from being vulnerable, have created this emotionless response in so many areas of our life. It is in the name of Jesus that I ask for and pray for and speak over new life, new opportunities, a second chance, it is in that authority that I pray for confidence 
trust, and vulnerability. By your work on the cross, your triumph over the grave, and your reign and rule now as King Jesus, that may life and love and freedom find us today to help us walk and be and participate in loving those in need, loving those far from you, and loving our neighbor. And all of these things can happen if we are loved by you. If we are participating in being loved by you and loving you, the result of that, the byproduct of that, is loving those in need, loving those far from you, and loving our neighbor. So Jesus, teach us how to love. Show us in our life who to love. And then come with us. Walk with us, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I'm so glad you joined us today. And I am so grateful for Pastor Josh, for Brooke, their family. They mean the world to us. And we are so thankful to be in partnership with them. We are blessed to have some great friends and family at North Park Church. And we are grateful for you. And if you are new to the North Park family, why don't you jump over to NorthParkRDU.com click that digital connect card and give us a chance to get to know you. That will give us a great opportunity to know who you are and put some great information in your hands as you take next steps to follow Jesus and plug into this church family. We love you. We're walking this journey with you and we would love for you to join one of our life groups. We believe that life change happens in the context of meaningful relationships. And so we want you to be a part of a group where you know that you are family. We all need to know and be known. And so I encourage you to jump into one of our life groups. We've got a seat waiting for you. And we also want to thank you for your continued generosity as we invest in the mission to build lifelong followers of Jesus. And if you'd like to give online today, why don't you just hit that online um, giving button. And I want to thank you in advance for your continued generosity, especially in this season. I can't wait to see you very soon. You are loved and I am cheering you on.